Welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. On this show, we invite app industry professionals to cover various topics. We promise to do our best to keep it both insightful but brief. On this episode, we have Marcus Cavioli, Mobile Marketing Manager at Flixbus Munich. Marco, welcome to the Business of Apps podcast. Hello, Art. Thanks for the invitation. All right. So, um, okay, a couple of quick facts first. Uh, If you're drinking or eating something at the moment, it's better to just put it down. Otherwise, you may just spill it. So brands spend on average 11x more acquiring new customers than retaining current ones. According to multiple sources, average app retention rate for 90 days ranges from 32% to depressing 4%. Just for the sake of people who may not know what is retention rate, it's a metric to measure if people continue to use an app within a specific period of time, let's say one day, 30 days, uh, or 90. So people stop using apps pretty quickly. Now the question is, how on earth can we not only acquire new users for an app, but actually retain them? Today Today we will be talking about how can we tackle this problem using geolocalized ads. But before doing all that, Marka, please uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, uh, So, hello everybody. Uh, My name is Marco and I currently work as a growth manager in Flixbus. I come originally from Milan, Italy, and I'm currently living in Munich, Germany. Uh, So yes, for the people that may not know Flixbus, we are a mobility provider born in 2013. And our aim is actually change the way millions of people travel. Um, the Flix app allows users to easily search for trips to more than 2,000, 2,500 destinations and book directly their tickets without hassle. Um, yeah, the company has also expanded its network outside of Europe to include new markets uh, such as the United States. Uh, so yes, uh, I started here actually in affiliate marketing uh, mm. around three years ago. Mm-hmm. And after that, I started moving in different teams. For example, I remember social media marketing, where mm-hmm. I was responsible for Facebook acquisition campaigns. Uh, then I moved to mobile marketing team, where I worked on uh, retargeting strategies and yeah, CRM non-paid strategies. And, and yeah, uh, experimenting different stuff, uh, I noticed how important it is for a solid marketing department to be actually interconnected and share knowledge and best practices that can be useful across also different channels. And yes, now I took part in a new project and I am working in a newborn team that is called Growth and Automation. And uh, for me, it's, a, it's quite cool because I've always been passionate about tech in general. And mm-hmm. this team is basically a mix between a marketing and a tech team. And it's dedicated to two main scopes, I would say. Uh, the first one is to hack the growth by, for mm-hmm. example, testing new channels or cooperating with existing ones. And the other one is to automate current processes that are carried out manually, for example. And yeah, that's it. Now let's see how it will go in this year. All right. Okay, great. Let's start with a definition. Uh, so what is a hyper-localized ad campaign and uh, what benefits does it hold for a net marketer? Uh, Can you give us some example of such ads? Sure, definitely. Uh, So uh, let me start from the beginning. Let's say that during the past years, we always been experimenting on different target possibilities of the main ad platforms. Uh, We actually wanted to explore how we could automate the classic targeting options in order to maximize the returns. 
hyperlocalized ads are just a type of campaigns that we came up during our experiments. Um, the most important question that we tried to answer was how specific can we go with targeting? And when is the point that, for example, a broad targeting campaign would perform better than a more specific one? Mm -hmm. uh, this is because everybody knows that most of the al ad algorithms, for example, Facebook, are often like they are often working better if the targeting is broader. Uh, this is because the more the people are in the audience, the faster and better the campaign can experiment on them and then learn how to optimize, for example. Exactly. In our case, we fully agreed with that, of course, but we also know that our offer consists in more than 400,000 daily bus connections. And probably, um, I mean, it's really a lot, and probably Impressive. by using our knowledge, we could promote those connections to the right people, into the right location, in a different way than how Facebook would. So what we did was just to restructure our Facebook campaigns and create one ad set for each city. And for every ad set, a group of creatives showing the top bus connections from each city. So this means that people that are at the moment in Los Angeles, for example, we see the most appealing bus connection from LA. For example, LA Las Vegas from $15 instead of a more generic ad. Mm -hmm. So this was the, the main idea. Uh, the thing is, there was a, a struggle, and this struggle was that often our offer is changing, and also relatively frequently on a day-to-day -day basis. So, for example, prices are changing in order to match the offer, uh, tickets are sometimes running out, and some connection could be booked out. Uh, even if we would have time to create all of these campaigns manually, and also mm -hmm. the time needed will be actually huge, maintaining and updating the offer with the most updated information, it's literally impossible. So for, for that, we had to work closely with Facebook API, and set up different data pipelines. They were starting from our backend, and then they were ending up in, in the ads themselves. So uh, if, for example, the price, is, the price of Los Angeles, Las Vegas would have increased to $20, for example, the mm -hmm. automation will then change the ad targeting Los Angeles, and also the creatives in an automatic way. So images and videos will then show uh, the updated price. So after developing a first version, we decided to test it in a couple of markets, and the results showed different impacts according to the country. For example, uh, in the US, the uplift scene uh, of CPI or CTR was actually bigger than some other European countries. We analyzed the results, and we, find, we found two main reasons. One reason was that maybe US was a new market, so this type of ads are actually good to onboarding the user, to educate him. And secondly, also the geography of the US, where cities um, are actually bigger than Europe, uh, made probably the optimization process from Facebook easier for the, for the algorithm. And yeah, so to sum up, uh, hyperlocalized ads are a solution that we came up in order to match the right products to the right people. In our case, using geolocation for, for clustering users and also automating the whole process. All right, great. So you can actually um, localize your ads within a specific city and be, um, you can customize your offer for people who are uh, localized within this region and you can go and scale uh, when you're using API of Facebook. So you can be both uh, 
you can customize your offer, but at the same time, you can do it for many, many, many locations at the same time. You can orchestrate exactly. this whole thing within one campaign. So yeah, it's something that I, I don't think was possible previously, uh, several years ago when, uh, with, without that level of sophistication. So, um, and you're saying that, uh, city is probably the smallest scale you can go with or zip code or, um, how, how local, uh, local you can go on Facebook? Uh, let's see that depends on the product itself, because in our case, we decided to, we decided to go on a city basis because mm -hmm. our, the, our product feed, so the list of, uh, of all the bus connections are based, based on a city level. But in theory, you could also uh, go even deeper if, for example, you have like a restaurant chain or um, um, something that is way more local and is all over the world and doing it like this. For example, food delivery. Food delivery can be something that maybe a city could be too much, but maybe a, like a neighborhood can be something more suitable. All right, got, got you. Um, okay, now um, let's say you're an app marketer and uh, you run a number of paid ads for your app. Uh, how should you localize them properly? What about non-paid ads, like push notifications? What should be a strategy in these two cases? Mm, yeah, so I would say that localization is, is highly dependent on your product and on the offer. So in our case, the offer itself is different among the countries. So every region has its own bus connections that are bringing you from your city to different destinations. So for us, it was actually logical to localize the ad showing the best products with the most updated news. Of course, together with translating the message and converting the price and so on. Um, if instead your product doesn't vary among the countries, so you're offering a, a homogeneous service, let's say, you should maybe leverage on other aspects. So for example, customers. Um, are you sure that, you're, that the people that are using your product are doing it the same way around the globe or Maybe people in the U.S. Might, might have different needs that your product could satisfy, even if it's global. Um, and Flixbus case can also be extended to this. So our users are not at all part of a unique segment. People might use our buses to go visit their family, back to their city. They might use it to doing road trips, weekend getaways, or to, to commute, for example. And all of those people could be really different among each other, and the message itself needs to be needs to vary accordingly. Mm -hmm. So, in, in your previous question, I explained how we localized our message, and of course, it was on a geographic level. But in theory, we, we could also localize the message also according to the possible users' personas, um, and the service itself that you are offering uh, might be left unchanged. So uh, educating the user on how she or, or he can use our app and maximize the benefits is actually part of our mission. Um, how can our service be good for you? I guess this can be a good question when you set up the communication strategy. Um, another point is what comes after the acquisition of the install. How can we retain the customer after having acquired him? How can we localize the messages that are used to retain the user? Uh, yeah, in, in this case, I think that we need to rely on data and use it to customize the communication in the full customer journey. So storing information on how we acquire the user, for mm -hmm. example, which channel we use, which campaign, uh, which message was enough to drive the person to download the app, all of those things are important to shape then the CRM actions. 
So for example, if we know that a user was acquired in a particular city, we might assume that he might be interested in what's going on there. So if we have a discount on trips starting from that city or in that region, it's needed to channel the communication and target the person and other users that are in that location. Now, uh, where do we get this data? So in our case, we might get it from our MMP or from the ad set that we use to drive the install. So push notifications are, of course, one of the best channels to do that, especially if with price promotion that, for, in our case, lasts just one day, we need a fast response, so a fast reaction that maybe with a normal email campaign we could not achieve. Uh, together with this, also maybe some search data. We know that this user was interested into this connection, this trip, could use it to dynamically retarget him. Uh, so yeah, uh, to sum up, I would say that I would say that personalization is the key. So segmenting the user based on particular variables can be geographic, but also user personas. Uh, helps in delivering effective communication. Especially if, like us, uh, you want to keep the frequency of messaging as low as possible uh, in order to, let's say, spamming the user. All right, so uh, the lesson is know, know your audience and use the data about the audience smart to localize your ads. This is the gold you have in your hands and make sure you're using it right. Uh, let's, yeah. okay, now, let's say you're an app marketer and um, mm -hmm. Um, you're actually on a quest to improve efficiency of your ad campaign. Uh, how can you improve return on ad spend of the advertising campaign you're running? Mm. So, I mean, I'd say that the most common way to optimize the campaigns is, of course, A-B testing. This everybody knows, and luckily, the biggest ad platforms are also providing with good tools that are making this job easier. So splitting the audience and then test the variations is something that in account should happen constantly. In my case, I used to plan testing by looking at capacity. For example, most of the time I try to plan, to plan my tests in order to reach significant results in around two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. And to reach that, I play around with budget and the sizes of the sample. Um, so the things that you can test are actually nothing new, everybody knows them, so beats, creatives, messages, and so on and so forth. Uh, however, in my opinion, there are also other dimensions that need to be tested in order to improve the ROAS. Things that I like to test are also elasticity, for example, and incrementality. Uh, so regarding elasticity, um, it's something that I consider really important. And for elasticity, I mean how much a campaign can spend and how is the return on ad spend is going to vary according to the budget. So unfortunately, the return on ad spend is not a linear relationship within spend and revenues. I like to highlight this because it can happen that you are investing time in optimizing a campaign. And then when you add, when you add budget on top, it's unable to scale properly. This might be related, for example, to the target that might saturate, or for example, to the campaign type itself. Mm -hmm. In our case, uh, we spot how particular campaigns were performing worse than others with low budget, and then when we scale them all together, the role switched. The campaigns that were actually at low ROAS before overclassed the other types. And I mean, in our case, it was good, but this can also be annoying, especially if you are changing your budget frequently. So uh, I've been thinking about an idea 
that is to develop a model that will mm -hmm. actually learn how different campaigns react to different spend levels. So at the moment it's just a theory, but uh, it can be that in the past we tested different budget levels for different campaigns and we already know how much the ROAS was changing. And it's possible that all of those learnings could actually be useful to predict the future. Uh, for this, I mean that every campaign could have a ROAS level that changes according to the budget. And a model could easily tell us what's the best budget allocation that we could have. I mean, it's just an idea, but imagine at the beginning of the month. So you get a different amount of budget in comparison to last month. Right. This means that you will have to reshuffle the money on all the campaigns. So a model will actually come up useful to tell you what's the best mix in order to maximize the return. And this is elasticity. But um, I like to test also the incremental part of the campaign, so incrementality. Mm -hmm. uh, to test incrementality, we need to answer one question. So is the revenue that my campaign is generating actually real? So uh, incrementality was actually the buzzword of last year and probably also this year. So marketers uh, put more focus on testing the real values of their campaigns and especially testing if the user would have converted any way without seeing or having interacted with the, with the campaign. Uh, this question made them think what's the real return of the campaign and if it was still okay to spend their budget on that way. So in order to improve the return in ad spend, it's always important to see which setup is bringing the highest incremental value. Um, in our case, since we are operating in the travel sector, it's not only important to consider if the user would or would not have purchased without the campaign, uh, but also if the user would have switched to a competitor to buy the same trip, for example. This because, uh, unfortunately, customer loyalty in the travel sector is uh, it's a difficult topic. So sometimes the user, regardless of our service, is just interested to move from point A to point B. And this can be that he is not sensible to offer details, or he will just be happy with the cheapest option. So we, when we test incrementality, you need also to consider that, that also competitors are playing, are playing a role. And yeah, regarding the testing part itself, it varies on the type of campaign structure that we want to test. And for example, if it's a retargeting campaign, you might use audience streaming. If it's an acquisition campaign, you might take a look at uh, geo-based advertising and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, to, to sum up, um, when you test, uh, you should not focus only on campaign characteristics, but also on these additional um, factors that are elasticity and incrementality. All right, great. Uh, let's switch the gears a little bit. Um, let's talk about ad creatives. Mm -hmm. uh, can you share some hints for how to manage ad creatives effectively? Sure. So uh, let's say that creatives can be a not easy topic sometimes, especially if some cases it's difficult to get fresh ones because there are not enough resources. So in the past, we actually had to deal with both of these problems. So uh, we had to rely on workarounds that have always something to have something to use for our ads. So something that we noticed in our case that uh, some creatives were actually created ad hoc for one specific campaign and then never reused again. For using a creative, I don't mean to do copy-paste, but maybe reuse a design with a different message and so on and so forth. Uh, in Flixus case, uh, creatives uh, are being created for different channels. 
So we have a big part of images that are designed for offline campaigns, for example. And it happened that our creative team worked on them, but never, never used them again. Uh, something that we are evaluating, and I saw that also other mobile companies are also interested into, is to focus more on creative platform that allow the marketers to sort their creative in a structured way, uh, with the scope to reuse uh, some and keep track of their performance. First, it's really important to store them and cluster them in types. Uh, maybe use specific tags in order to both the marketers can easily access them, and also the creative team. For example, uh, can check them afterwards. Uh, mm -hmm. So, for example, a video that we used in a TV campaign some time ago uh, can be cut and reused in Instagram stories, for example. Exactly. Um, another important thing uh, is keep a two ways feedback. Uh, this is because the designers can easily provide you with fresh images and videos, but of course, they need to know what's the impact of their work and their choices. So providing them with real data from campaigns can actually help them to understand which elements of an image or a video are stimulating the user to, uh, to engage. Um, yeah, another point can be also customer education. So um, it's also good to use creatives to educate the customer. I saw, for example, some interesting strategy on remarketing with YouTube ads. So basically, you can remarket who already watched a video of yours with another one. And mm -hmm. this can allow marketers to target the user with a series of videos in order to tell a story. Um, this is also linked to the importance of continuity. Uh, for example, we saw that using the same design uh, was actually um, improving the, the click-through rate because the user was actually recalling the same designs, the colors, the fonts, and uh, it was actually um, carried out through a journey. And yeah, it's, it's actually really cool, but unfortunately, uh, producing high quality videos requires tons of resources. And that's why we decided, and we explained in the past question, uh, how to automate some of these processes. All right, gotcha. Speaking of video ads, any thoughts uh, just from the top of your head about TikTok videos? Have you huh. thought about it yet? Uh, at the moment, we we are switching to we are still focusing on Instagram videos because uh -huh. we have a huge like huge list of videos that we're using in the uh, we're using in the past for for example TV ads that are actually longer and we are working on cutting them in order to recycle them and I check that also TikTok uh, support the same length but we haven't experimented uh, them yet. All right, I see. Okay, uh, media buying. Um, media buying is a part and parcel of pretty much any app marketing campaign. What would you suggest app marketers to streamline and improve their media buying process? Okay, so uh, we all know that, I mean, the list of ad networks that are currently present in the market is quite long. Uh, so in order to streamline media buying, I think that the first thing that is needed is to build a solid process to evaluate partners. Uh, this needs to happen in a lean way, and uh, every network needs to be analyzed in the same way as the others. Uh, so personally, I would suggest to split this whole evaluation process into two main steps. So in the first step, I would personally screen the partners and come out with a list of networks that we would like to test. Uh, and in the second step, I will carry out the tests themselves by maybe creating a backlog and organize those partners in a logic way. 
So in base on the countries that we would like to work in, for example, yeah, the purpose of the campaign and so on. Um, it's always good to come up with a guideline or a template that can help you to check if the ad network that you want to work with has all the requirements that you need. Um, so let's first maybe start with the screening part. So for the screening part, it can actually be different from company to company. Uh, in our case, technology personally plays a big role. So if, for example, that network already owns uh, its own technology and a machine learning algorithm is, of course, a big plus for me. Um, a network like that will catch more attention than, for example, another partner, uh, maybe, I don't know, 60% of the workforce is only dedicated to sales. And this will probably give the idea that is maybe just brokering without giving a real added value to their service. And yeah, evaluating technology of a partner is not always easy, but for example, we can check some signals that can tell us something. For example, if it's implemented in some MMPs, if the red network is passing some costs to adjust, for example, if it's passing information and, and yeah, and so on and so forth. Uh, technology aside, uh, other things that I consider when I screen the partners is also the market power. So, for example, when we expanded in, in the US, we had to review our list of um, partners and, and check the ad networks that were actually strong in the United States. And last but not least, I will consider also uh, the reputation and trustworthiness that uh, the that network has. I mean, the wide marketing world is not huge and it's not hard to find referrals and align with other companies or colleagues that we worked on some partners in the past. So to sum up, uh, we screen partners based on technology, market power and reputation. Regarding testing the partners, in our case, uh, it's always important to be clear since the beginning for which market and also for which purposes you want to test uh, an ad network. Um, I think that the most important this part is having a template. So having a template can come useful for you, but also for the business intelligence team or the marketing intelligence team. And the important things that need to be defined are the KPIs that you are going to use to evaluate the campaigns, but also the different quantities. So for example, how many installs do we need to, to evaluate the ad network? How many apps does the ad network need to work with? How much money do we need to invest for the test? Also, how many days do we need to consider after the install to evaluate the revenues? And also together with this, uh, it's also good to check the customer experience, the user experience in working with this partner. How easy is the communication with your account manager? How easy is to change bids or budgets? And yeah, um, I mean, that's it, I would say. Of course, there are a lot of aspects to consider, but yeah, in, in this case, I try to list the most important for me and also for other companies in general. But even if I would have to apply this method for another company, I'm quite sure that, that this can be good. So first step, a good screening for different option, and then second part, uh, a specific test in order to evaluate the, the ad networking details. All right, great. That's a pretty sophisticated approach, I should say. Uh, Thank you. Now I have a few rapid fire quick questions for you. Okay. Uh, it's a funny part. So, uh, <laughs> I, iOS or Android, on which side are you? Ooh, depends which way. So, for example, in terms of optimization, the experience with iPhone, iOS looks really no, no. Well, However, just, you, just, uh, just you personally, like, uh, do you hold uh, an iPhone in your pocket or Samsung Galaxy or something? 
Okay, so if we talk maybe about apps, I'm more towards the open source nature of Android. So being an Android user, I would say Android. All right, gotcha. Uh, speaking of Android uh, iPhones, yeah. uh, do you remember what was your first mobile phone? Pre-iPhone pre era. Of course, uh, Nokia 3310, actually, with Snake 2. I don't know if you know it. <laughs> yeah, I think I still, I think I can remember uh, vaguely, but I, still I can do it. It was a classic, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that, I, I got it when I was 14, probably. Only because the, it, it had Snake 2. <laughs> All right, uh, back, back to present. Uh, what is your favorite app, if you have any? My favorite app? Uh, my favorite app, I would say, is uh, actually Shazam. Uh, mm. Not only because I'm using it like uh, really a lot, but also because of its history. So uh, yeah, I don't know if you know it. It was actually born in early 2000, and at the beginning was actually not even an app. Was uh, activated. The service was an activate uh, activated by calling a particular number, like a four digits number, mm. and and they were actually like recording the call and then giving uh, like. Um, get, getting you back with an SMS with the title of the song. Hmm. And also, the story is really interesting. They had different type of pricing models, also a subscription model, because at the beginning was like a, um, a pay, paid service. And, uh, and yeah, I think it made profit maybe in 2016, something like a super late after their first launch. Uh, that's interesting. I, I didn't know that because I started using Shazam when it became part and parcel of uh, iOS uh, yeah. um, ecosystem, the default uh, back-end uh, service for Siri. Uh, so, yeah, but that's... I didn't know that it was the... You could actually uh, place a phone call and get your yeah, yeah, song was, name back. It was that's, crazy. Yeah. That, that's cool. Um, what about new app technologies? Uh, are you most excited about? Ooh, personally, I'm excited about maybe artificial intelligence. So yeah, it's a broad term, but in specific chatbots, maybe voice recognition softwares, face recognition, um, maybe not only about marketing, but also about the app itself. For example, I, I like Duolingo, it's an app used for learning uh, languages. And the, the, um, uh, the chatbot is actually really awesome. So, yeah, this is something that I really like. Cool. Uh, and now, before I let you go, uh, how can people get in touch with you and get more information about what you're doing? Uh, so, I would say that maybe LinkedIn is my favorite channel. So, just look for Marcos Cavioli. Uh, I think you will see the, the name in the podcast title. Uh, yep. And, yeah, I would say if you want to know more about Flixbus, you can check our website, uh, www.flixbus.com. Um, yeah, I would say that these are the main channels. Great. Uh, thanks a lot for your time and coming on our podcast, Marco. Thanks a lot, Art. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, And that was Marcus Capioli, Mobile Marketing Manager at Flixbus Munich. To listen to more episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Just search for Business of Apps and you will find us easily. Once you subscribe, you will be able to get new episodes on your smartphone, tablet, or computer as soon as we release them. And please don't forget to leave us a review and comment. It is highly appreciated. And all episodes will be available on businessofapps.com. Till the next time. Bye.